Hear the word of the Lord from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, and 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 through 20. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Justin, and I am the lead pastor here at the church. We've got a few things, or a couple things I want to do this morning before we get into God's word. First thing I'd like to do is I'd like to say farewell to a few of our Sacred City Church members and attenders who have recently graduated from Palmer College of Chiropractic. So Palmer is on a trimester system. So we obviously have p- people graduate every fall, but we've also, or every spring, I guess, but we also have some graduate in the fall and some in the winter as well. And uh, college and graduate school can often be a time where you just kind of hunker down. You're in a strange city, right? So you just kind of hunker down, focus on your studies and just try to you know, pay your dues and bide your time until you graduate. Uh, Too many students lose sight of the bigger purposes of life to know God and to walk in his ways and to live in a community of God's people and live on his mission together. That means all of us were meant, we were created by God to uh, live inside of a community to know God and walk with God with other believers. Well, thankfully, over the last several years, we have seen so many young people join our church family while going to school at Palmer, and for that, we are incredibly grateful. I want to publicly say thank you for those who are with us today. Thank you for serving our church family over these past couple years. Thank you for doing set up and tear down. Thank you for being in kids ministry. Thank you for running slides. Thank you for doing all of the stuff that you guys have done. Our church is better because of you. Our missional communities are better. I am coming up in the spring. I'm about to lose five productive members of my missional community uh, as they graduate from Palmer. So we are going to greatly miss them. Uh, But right now, Jen Moorcraft, Rachel Martin, and Christian Busby all are graduating from Palmer, and we want to say our farewell to them. We want to let them know that, that we love you guys. We're thankful to God for you. I know there's, I know Skyler and some other folks are out doing precept, and they're, they're supposed to be back, and I think they're graduating um, in, the, in the spring, but we are really thankful that you have served us as a church, that you found a community here with us, and we just love you, and we're really thankful for you, and we hope... You've also already searched out your next location and you found a thriving, Jesus-loving, gospel-centered church where you can belong to and that you can bless with your presence once again. So congratulations on your graduation. We wish you the best and you will always have a home. For If it doesn't work out wherever you're going, come on back, baby. You always got a home right here, okay? You've always got a home with us. Um, so we love you guys. We're thankful for that. Now, also, I want to do... Oh, okay. All right. 
Now, another thing I want to do is I want the Galliard family to come up here with me. I would like the elders to come up here, and we want to pray for Isla this morning. <clears throat> if you don't know this family, uh, they have been members for our church for, uh, for a long time. And Isla has, uh, she received a heart transplant when she was very young. And she's been having some complications with that. She's, come, here, come on over here. <laughs> she's been having some complications with that. And there's, they've been going up in Chicago. They basically uh, have been living up there, it seems like, or part-time uh, up there, back and forth a lot. Uh, some of you that are in missional community with them, you, you, know, you know them, you've been praying for them. But we wanted, the, the Bible says in James, that if anyone's sick among you, that we should bring them together and the elders should lay hands on them and we should pray for them. And God says that the prayer of faith will save the sick. And that's so we believe God, we believe God's word. And so we want to do that this morning. There, um, she's got, Isla's got some tests coming tomorrow, right? Some tests coming tomorrow, some biopsies. They found some different uh, things that look like tumors, right? Things that look like tumors in her body, not really sure what's going on. Rare, I think the, the doctor says about 10% of the cases have this, potential have this condition. And so um, we're believing God, right? This is a nightmare both for, for parents and for Isla, but man, the faith of this little girl and her strength and her attitude, God's been with her. And so we want, we want to pray for God's healing um, for, for them and just his power to continue to sustain her. So let's just pray for her right now. Father God, um, first off, I'm just, I'm thankful for the work that you've already done in Isla. I'm thank you for the, the new heart that she was given. I'm thankful for the life that she's had already up until this moment. I'm thankful for the faith that she's been given by you. I'm thankful for how she believes in Jesus, how she trusts in God, that you have kept her, that you've encouraged her, that she is such a light to anyone who knows her. God, you are at work here, and we trust you, and we believe you, even when it's difficult. And this is a situation where it is really difficult. There's a lot of things going on that we we don't know why. We don't know what for. We don't know... Um, and we're tempted to say, what do we need to learn? And, what, and we just ask all of these kind of questions, Lord God. And, and many times there's just no answers to those questions on, on this side of the fall, on this side of the curse of sin that's, that, that affects everything we touch, everything that, uh, even the air that we breathe, Lord God. And so all we know is that Jesus Christ came and put on a, put on a body for us and he died the death that we deserve so that he could redeem and renew and restore us. And that Jesus who raised, was raised from the dead, who defeated death, he gives life to our mortal bodies, scripture says, that he can heal these bodies, that he is Lord of these bodies, that he is our great physician, that he is the balm of Gilead, that he is the one that can, that can bring healing and restoration. And we know, Father God, um, that he's going to ultimately do that in the new heavens and the new earth, that we all will get a new body where there will be no sin, there will be no sickness, there will be no brokenness, it will be perfect. And Lord God, before that happens now, it's our job to pray. It's our job to trust. It's our job to rest in your plan and what you're doing. And so you tell us, if any of us are sick, to, let, to call the elders of the church and to lay hands on them and to pray. And so that's what we're doing this morning. We're bringing Isla before you. We know that you love her more than we do, more than her parents do, that you knew her, that you formed her in her mother's womb. You knew her before she was even formed in her mother's womb. In the darkness of that womb, you knew her and you loved her and you have a plan for her. And so we just, we trust you, that you and your providence, you know what's best, you know what's right, you know what's good, you know what's perfect. And so we, 
Lord God, we submit, we humbly submit to your will this morning. And we ask that you, as Lord of her body, that we ask that you would heal her. We ask that you would, that you would bring um, clarity to these doctors tomorrow as they, take, as they take tests and all the stuff that they're doing, that you would give them wisdom. You would give them supernatural wisdom and they would know what they are to do tomorrow. But Father God, we ask that you would do the things that no man can do. We ask that you would to speak as you spoke us into creation, Lord God, you would speak into her body right now and you would drive out the sickness and you would drive out the tumors and you would drive out anything that's wrong and you would make it right. We know that you can do it. And so we, we put our faith and we put our hope in you. And we ask, Father God, even uh, for, for Josh and Kaylee, that you would bring comfort, that you would bring security, that they would rest and trust in your providence, that they would know you're a good God and you do good things and you give good gifts to your people. And so I pray, Father God, that you would bring comfort, rest, healing, and you do all of this for your glory. Lord God, we know that you are good and we rest in your goodness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Love you, girl. Love you. Love you guys. Yes. Yeah, is her birthday when? It's today. Her birthday is today. I knew it was this weekend, so her birthday is today. So we love you. Okay. Uh, Let me pray for us, and we can go before God in his word this morning. Lord God. Oh, we thank you for being who you are. If you were not God, we would have no comfort. We would have no security. We'd have no peace. We'd have no strength. That we are contingent upon you. We need you. We need every word that comes from you. Jesus was right when he said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. And so God, we, your children, the sheep of your pastor, we crave a word from you this morning. Would you speak to us? Would you speak to us and would you redirect our thinking? We have incorrect, bent thoughts and we need them straightened out. We have wills that are broken that choose the wrong thing. We need those redeemed and restored. God, and we have bodies that are sick and need mending. Would you do all of this for your glory and our good this morning? I'm a fallen man as well and so I need your grace to control my thoughts and to control my speaking. So I ask that you would think through my mind and speak to my vocal cords, Lord God. This is not just something I pray every week just out of habit. It's something that I'm desperately in need of. I need you to think through me and to speak through me. Your people need a word from you this morning. Oh, Holy Spirit, we put our trust in you and we need you to shine a light on God's word and wake us up to your reality. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Well, if you are just joining us this morning, we have been studying our origins For the past several weeks. Now, the two main reasons why we are doing this deep dive into the first three chapters of the book of Genesis is so that we would be able to understand our purpose in life and Jesus' purpose in our redemption. Those two things are one. In other words, why did God create you? Or what did God create you for? And then why did Jesus or what did Jesus save you for? These are two big questions that I'm attempting to answer from the word of God during this series. Now listen, if you walk into a field and you were to find a boomerang, but you don't know what that thing is for, who knows how you will try to use it? 
right? Now, I, more than likely, if you're a kid and you find this boomerang, you're going to use this thing. If you don't know what it's for, you're going to use it for all kinds of reasons, right? You're going to use it to dig with. You're going to use it to hammer things, right? You're going to use it to scratch places that you can't. And you know what? This is probably what this thing is for, right? It reaches places I can't quite reach. But here it is. Listen, the glory of a boomerang isn't its ability to hammer a nail or dig a hole or scratch your back. The glory of a boomerang is seen when you throw it into the air and miraculously that thing comes back to you. Just think about that. A boomerang is a stick you can throw away from you and it comes back to you right? Whoever invented this was a genius, right? And it more than likely, I'm not, no offense, it was more than likely a man, right? How do I throw a thing and actually not have to walk out and get it, <laughs> right? That's what I want, <clears throat> right? That's what that boomerang was desired, was designed to do. That's what it was designed to do. Now listen, you will never know the full glory of a boomerang until you use it for that designed purpose. Only that designed purpose makes you go, whoa. Now I speak here of the glories of an inanimate object. How much more so the pinnacle of all God's creation, man and woman. We have learned so far in this series, that man and woman are made in the image of God. They're the only thing in all of creation that has been made in the image and likeness of God. Imago Dei is the Latin term. That we were created kings and queens. Not cave dwellers, right? Not morons, not Neanderthals. We were created kings and queens to rule over God's beautiful creation with benevolence, justice, and creativity. To both cultivate creation and steward it in a way that would bring God glory and human flourishing to our fellow man. We were created to walk with God and live in harmony with him forever. We were created to marry and to have children and to build families that would spread that Imago Dei over the face of the earth. That's what we've covered so far. Now today I want to introduce another rather controversial topic of what it means to be made in the image of God. It's a topic that kind of gets to the very heart of our current cultural moment in America. What I'm going to discuss today is deemed heresy by the cultural elites in academia, in politics, in the media, and the arts. And it is a reason for a plethora of our society's ills. And it's this. God's word says that we are contingent beings. That we owe our existence and our sustenance to God. In other words, you are not your own. You are not your own. Listen, if you study the theory of evolution, you will soon discover that it's full of all kinds of holes. There's all kinds of things in the human body 
that cannot be explained by evolution. Things that would not work at all if they were only slightly different than they are now. Things like the complex lenses in your eye or the valves in your heart. But with all of these holes, why do so many people still insist that the theory of evolution is true and seem to want it to be true so badly? Well, I believe, and I believe the scriptures teach us, that all of us deep down know that there is a God. We know that that God is our creator, but here it is but we do not want to belong to him. We want to belong to ourselves. Now, why would that be the case? Why would we want to be our own? Why would we want to belong to no one but ourselves? To put it simply, if there is no God, if there is no creator, I am free to do whatever I want, Right? We, in our mind, we think if there is no God, it's basically home alone forever. The first couple days, let's just say that. First couple days of home alone. Well, in 1939, Aldous Huxley wrote a book called Ends and Means. Huxley was an intellectual of the highest class. He was nominated for the Nobel Prize of Literature in seven different years. And he, and he was also an outspoken atheist. Huxley believed that the universe was created by chance and therefore life had no meaning. Huxley was one of my favorite kind of atheists, an honest atheist, an atheist that would just tell you really what he was thinking and what he felt. So he said this, since the universe um, has no meaning, everything in life was utterly meaningless. Human existence, human life, everything in life was utterly meaningless. In Huxley's book, Ends and Means, he writes this, quote, I had motives, hear that? I had motives for not wanting the world to have a meaning. Consequently, I assumed that it had none. And I was able without any difficult to find significant reasons for this assumption. Hear the order of his thoughts there. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying this. He did not come to his belief in atheism through pure reason. He wasn't convinced of atheism by science. No, indeed, it was actually the opposite. It was his atheism that led to his scientific conclusions. Huxley had reasons for wanting atheism to be true. He had reasons for wanting the world to be without meaning, and so he used science to justify his assumptions that life had no meaning. Now, why would a person do that? Well, Huxley, he doesn't care about telling you his motives. He thank, thankfully, he shows us his cards. Huxley goes on to write this, and I quote, the philosopher who finds no meaning in the world is not concerned exclusively, exclusively with the problem in pure metaphysics. He is also concerned to prove that there is no valid reason why he personally should not do as he wants to do. So when a philosopher is philosophizing, he's not just up here in the clouds thinking about metaphysics. He's also a human being. 
And as this human being, as this individual, he has reasons for not wanting there to be a God. He has personal reasons for that. For Huxley, he chose atheism because it says that the world is without meaning. And if a world is without meaning, that means a person can do whatever they want with their life. There are no rules. There is no rule giver. There are no laws. There is no divine lawgiver. There is no morality. We are our own and therefore we get to choose how we live our life any way that we want to. Think about that. Huxley here is being incredibly honest. Most people cannot be so honest. So Huxley didn't reject God as creator because he had examined Christianity and found it wanting. It wasn't because science had somehow proved to him that life had no meaning or no creator. No, Huxley says, and listen to this, this is, I quote him again. He says this, quote, we objected to morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. Just straight up. He's in college. He wants to sleep with whoever he wants to sleep with. And he says, the only way I can do this without fear of judgment or without fear of feeling bad is if I can be an atheist. Because in atheism, there are no rules. Well, I want there to be no rules, so therefore I'll be an atheist. But you see, it's his desires that led to his atheism, which then led to his scientific conclusions and his philosophic conclusions. Huxley wanted, I mean, this is in his own words, he wanted to sleep with whoever he wanted to sleep with. And so he chose his religion, his truth, to fit his desires. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, quote, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. Our bodies are meant for the Lord. And the Lord for the bodies. We need to get rid of this dualistic notion that's so prevalent in our society today that Christianity is just about our soul or just about our spirit or just about going to heaven when we die. When we die, will we go to heaven if we're in Christ? Yes, absolutely. And we'll be there for a definite period of time. And then Jesus Christ, when he comes back, he will reunite our spirit with a real physical body. The Lord is meant for the body and our body is meant for the Lord. See, God is our creator. He made us, and so we owe it to him to obey him in our bodies. He made our bodies for his own glory, and our bodies, therefore, are not meant to be used immorally against the way that he designed them. To say it another way, in, a, in a probably a, a more shocking way. God is the rightful owner of your body. He designed it. He created it. He gave it to you. You are meant to use your body to glorify him. Now, what does that mean? That means you're meant to use your bodies to raise your hands in worship to make sandwiches and build widgets, to play instruments and write music, to make art that is aesthetically pleasing and so on and so forth. And men, God gave you your body to give to your wife. 
to produce children, and then to protect and provide for your family. This isn't all that you are for, but it is a huge piece of why God gave you the body he gave you. It points to your telos. It points towards your purpose in life. You are not your own. Now, I know this can sound a lot like slavery. It's not. It's actually freedom. This is a part of the glorious purpose in life as man as part of the Imago Dei. And ladies, you also are meant to give your body to your husband and your husband alone. To receive him and create life in your womb. To carry that life in your body, nourishing it and bringing it into the world where you will feed it from your own body and take care of it like you would yourself. Women and women alone are the type of human beings that have the potential to do this. This is what makes you, ladies, unique from men. And distinct from them. This is part of your distinct glory. This is the boomerang in the air. This is what you do that no one else can do. One of the things that no one else can do. Anyone can build a business. All right? Anyone can start a nonprofit. Anyone can have a social media following. Anyone can do these. The only thing that women specifically can do that men can't is create life. And have the type of type the type of soul and being that can nourish and sustain that life. The potential to do it, as I talked about last week. And this is where the lies of our culture have become so prevalent that it's so hard to hear this as actual good news of God's creational order. Ladies, you have been told for so long, for as long as most of you remember, that your body is your own. Today's death cult says, my body, my choice. And takes the very gift the givenness, the grace, the glory of a woman's body, its ability to receive and create life and says, my body, my choice, even though my actions led to what's in my womb, this child in my womb, I should have the, the, the autonomy to destroy the life in my womb. For a long time, this death call even refused to acknowledge that the life in the womb was a child at all. They wanted to steer clear of the words abortion or child and instead focus the attention specifically on a woman's choice. Why? Because the baseline assumption in our culture today is that we are autonomous individuals. Autonomy is taken from two words in the Latin, which means self-law. We believe that we are born into the world as a law unto ourself, my body, my choice. First off, I want to ask, where does that belief come from? Do you know that we are, in the last, let's just say the last 50 years, maybe 80 years, that we are the first generation in human civilization to ever think that, that we are born into the world as a law unto ourself? Can this belief 
be proven in any scientific way? Can it be proven scientifically? How can you prove that you have autonomy? How can you prove that you are an autonomous individual? Did you pop into existence on your own? Did you sustain yourself for 18 years, give or take? Did you self-create? Are you holding yourself into existence right now? Is this your planet? Does anyone else follow your laws? If the answer to any of these questions is no, then you are not your own, nor have you ever been autonomous. Can you imagine your four, actually you can probably imagine this, your four-year-old walking in saying, Dad, I learned in, I learned in preschool today that I'm an autonomous individual. You'd be like, all right, call me when you need a snack. <laughs> right? <clears throat> we are not a law unto your, ourselves. In fact, we have to be, this is why, oh, this is such a fragile idea that it needs to be pushed down and it needs to be in your face all the time because we don't believe this in our guts. So it has to be reassured in every single commercial. It has to be reassured in every single philosophy class, every single gender study class, all over the culture today, in every movie. They got to keep pushing it down our throats because we know it's not real. We know it's not true. We are not our own. We did not self-create. Nor are we holding ourselves down on this planet. Really hope the galaxies are listening to me right now, doing what I want them to do. Really hope the sun obeys my command this morning and wakes up again. See, all of us entered this world through a mother's womb. And we found ourselves on this planet And it's a certain type of planet, right? It's not the planet of our wishes or the planet of our desires. The planet we found ourselves is a planet that is governed by certain laws that we did not agree to, nor did we create. The laws of gravity, motion, thermodynamics, photosynthesis, and heredity. I didn't agree to the law of heredity. I wanted to be 6'2 as soon as I knew it, right? I wanted to be far more athletic than I was. But guess what? There's a law to heredity, right? These are all natural laws that were given to us that we're meant to discover. We're meant to discover them and live our lives in line with them. We do not get to create new laws that govern the natural world. We merely discover what God has placed here. Well, listen, have you thought about this? The same that is true for the natural world is also true for human nature. For human nature. Human nature is just as fixed as all the other laws of nature are. We are a certain type of being. We are not plastic people who can morph or shapeshift however we see fit without suffering grave consequences. See, you can do this with your Barbie dolls. You can 
pluck pieces off and put pieces back on and you can make them whatever type of thing you want to make them, right? You can do that, but we're not that type of being. When you try to do that, something is damaged not only in the body that God has given us, but also to the soul because it's, it's hard to speak as if we're two separate things. We are an embodied soul. We are are an embodied spirit. They're connected in some significant way, some eternal way, where death, as seen as this separation, is something foreign. It's an enemy. And And it's not our final state. Our final state will be joined back together with our bodies. If we're going to flourish as human beings, we have to discover these laws that govern human nature and we have to live in line with them. As I've said several times before in this series, freedom for the fish has to be in line with its nature and body. Freedom, therefore, for the fish is limited to the water. Well, that doesn't seem fair. I'm sorry, but you didn't create the fish. Listen, this this is a great picture of how empathy destroys things that God created. You know it's the empathy in your child that grabs the fish and pulls it out. It's in the bowl, Dad. I wanted it to breathe. It breathes in the water, baby, not out here. So empathy scoops it up, brings it out on the table, and it flops until it dies. Right? And then we flush it. Right? That's what happens. If even if a fish, if a fish were to evolve to become its autonomous self and say, you know what? Freedom is out there. Look at the big wide world that these big bad human beings are putting me in this jar and keeping me here. Who, who do you think you are to tell me who I am? Right? The autonomy of the fish would what? They might think they want to live their best life on the beach, okay? That supposed freedom, it looks like freedom is actually slavery and a slavery that ends in death. Why? Their nature was created for the water. That's what they were created for. So it is with us today. Autonomous individualism is a death cult. My body, my choice leads to the murdering of hundreds of thousands of children in their mother's womb. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's with forceps the day before they give birth, which they can do across the river, by the way, in Illinois, or if it's with a pill the day before, the day after. It's all ending a life that is not your own. My body, my choice is now leading Canada to legalize euthanasia. Where the sick, elderly, poor, and invalid are being encouraged to end their lives so they won't be a detriment to society or their families. It's a death cult. Or now the most recent manifestation of the autonomous death cult is telling children that if they don't like their bodies, 
Or if they feel at odds with their bodies, they should take hormones to permanently change them or surgically remove their breasts or genitalia and procedures that cannot be reversed. And empathy sits along and says, well, whatever they feel, I don't want to tell anybody, you know, the, the signs out of Bettendorf High School this past week, protect trans kids. Everything you say, you mean the opposite by. You want to destroy trans kids, kids that are, have any type of dysmorphia in their bodies. All of this, which all of this so-called gender reassignment surgery, all studies have shown unequivocally that it has no change upon the incredibly high rates of depression, anxiety, and suicide among people dealing with body or gender dysmorphia. Instead, those who undergo such procedures will be in need of constant medical attention for the rest of their life. <coughs> Dozens more surgeries, most likely, constant hormone therapy, and all kinds of different things. The amount of detransitioning horror stories that are coming out today is enough to cause any sensible person to say, this must not go on any longer. This must stop. You are not your own. You were created by God with dignity, value, and worth. And, though, and your body, though it is not perfect... It is good and must be received as a gift. There's one more aspect of the autonomous individualism death cult that I want to mention this morning. And it has to do with identity. Identity. It's a word that gets thrown around a lot these days. That I get to choose my identity or I get to create my own identity. This, this begins with this idea that I belong to no one but myself. My parents can't tell me who, my, who I am. My church can't tell me who I am. God can't tell me who I am. My society can't tell me who I am. I must define who I am. Now, this belief has ultimately to do with identity. Now listen, here's the, here's the, it sounds freeing, okay? It's the home alone syndrome here. Like, no parents, let's go! And then day three comes around. See, when you cut yourself off from all social, moral, natural, and religious values, that means that now you become responsible for the meaning of your own life. You have to now create your own identity and you're not God. Now, at first this sounds freeing, but when you dig a little deeper, you realize that it's actually terrifying, exhausting, and leads to the death of true freedom and human flourishing, just like the fish. Think about it. If you are truly an autonomous individual, that means you have no God to receive an identity from. 
You have no God to justify your existence. You have no God to give you an identity. No God to forgive your sins. No God to give you anything. That means you alone have to be the justifier and redeemer of your own life. Creator, justifier, and redeemer of your own life. Can I tell you, that's a job description that no human being can fulfill. It puts a burden upon yourself that is too big to bear. You are your own. Go out in the world and justify yourself. Well, how do I do that? Straight A's in school? Separate yourself from the peers? Graduate? Summa cum laude? Right? Find the career that's special for you. It fits just who you are. Make a million bucks in the process, by the way. Drive the right cars, live in the right houses. Get enough online followers. That'll justify your existence. That'll make you feel like somebody. Basically, it's get on this never-ending treadmill and run until you die. Oh, enjoy the journey. It's not the destination, it's the journey. If you're on a treadmill, there is no destination. You fall flat and it shoots you out the back. Now, this has been codified in so many different stories and movies. If it's Rocky, right? Why is he fighting? Why is he fighting? Why is he in the ring? Why, what, if he can just beat Apollo Creed, no, 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 not beat him. If he can just go the distance, I can prove that I ain't no bum. I ain't no bum. It's his whole, he's justifying his existence, right? Why am I on this planet? If I can go the distance with Apollo, I've justified my existence. I've proved that I ain't no bum. This is probably, it's famously, I've used this quote many times, but uh, Madonna famously said in Vanity Fair magazine, she says this, quote, I have an iron will and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. And then I get to another stage and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. Again and again, this happens, she says. She says, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended and it probably never will. All right, now listen, I, I've quoted this for over a decade, right? I think I first heard it from Pastor Tim Keller. And back when I first started quoting it, you, you know, Madonna was still popular and you could, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. It's, aren't we all kind of like that? You know, this, just, this treadmill, we're just constantly trying to push back to find it. Have you seen Madonna lately? Right? Have you seen her lately? She should be a grandma by, by now. If you know this, but she doesn't look like grandma. She looks like one of Sid's toys from Toy Story, okay? 
that's been under the knife so many times, she's unrecognizable of herself. She literally has recreated herself, in, in, her, in, in her words, over and over and over again. So now you look at her and you know, that I'm, not being, I'm not being cruel here, you know you look and you go, oh, you look away and go, oh, that's not right. That's not normal. There's something inherently appalling about it. She has raged against her body. She's raged against human nature. She's raged against the world. Wrinkles are her curse, right? Not being sexually desirable is her death. She has to be interesting. She has to be more than mediocre. The lie of the autonomous individualism death cult promises freedom but always delivers death and destruction. The, now listen, the personal ramifications of the lies of the autonomous self are plenty. But on top of that, there's the social ramifications. Think about it. When nearly everyone on, in our society is doing the same thing, how are you going to get a leg up on the competition? How are you going to be unique? How are you going to be special? How do you separate yourself from the other person in the cubicle? How are you going to stand out? Life becomes like some kind of reality TV show where everyone is just trying their best to get noticed and picked. My kids, this, my kids call this being a pick-me that you are willing to do almost anything to get chosen, to stand out. Can I ask you, is this the type of world you want to live in? It's like one big episode of Survivor. We are living in constant fear of being blindsided and voted off the island. We want to stand out from our peers and show ourselves as unique and successful. And yet we are so anxious and fearful of failure. We know that if we ever stop working, if we ever stop running on the treadmill, all of our achievements will be lost. People will forget about us. Which is why so many of us have to use so many things to self-medicate. How many of us use caffeine, alcohol, prescription pills, Netflix, social media, porn, video games, just to get ourselves through the day? There must be a better way. Three out of five female teenagers this year have said they've contemplated, they said they're seriously depressed, dealing with anxiety, and they've contemplated suicide. Three out of five. Guys, this has never happened before. In the history of human civilization, this has never happened before. Something is going wrong. We have to name it and we have to fight against it. There is a better way. It's God's way. 
The lie of autonomous individualism says you are your own and it promises freedom from God and human nature, but it only delivers slavery to sin and greater levels of depression, isolation, and even death. Instead, God, our creator, offers us a different way. He says that we are the way we are, and that is sinners, contingent creatures in need of redemption because our original mother and father, Adam and Eve, used their free will to violate God's law, that they disobeyed him and brought down a curse upon all creation. And that curse involved being spiritually cut off from God. So yeah, we feel like individuals and aliens in this body sometimes. Where is God? We don't know that we're under his judgment, that we are estranged from him. We call this the fall, a fall from grace. And this fall also brought about a fracture within ourselves that there now was going to be some discontinuity between who we were and who we should be. That we were born into this world sinners who should be righteous. And no matter how hard we tried, we could never, by our own works, work our way back into that original state of glory. We were born sinners and we could never make ourselves not sinners. We were without hope if it was up to us. This is how desperate our plight was. We could never justify our own existence. We could never be our own savior. So God in his sovereign grace did what we could not do. The eternal God became man. This is called the doctrine of the incarnation. God put on flesh to dwell among us. The spirit of the son put on flesh, and the scriptures say that he did not come as his own. He didn't show up and say, I am my own and I came to do what I came to do. He said in John 5, 19, quote, truly, truly, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Jesus didn't show up on his own and create new rules. He came and he lived in line with human nature. He lived, he lived in line of the, nat- the natural order. And he did exactly what God the Father told him to do. We know this in the garden when he says, the weight of what he was going to, be, going to walk through was in front of him. He was for the first time ever going to be separated from God in some sense. He was becoming sin. He was taking the weight of sin on himself and God was going to turn his face away. And for a moment, Jesus was going to feel cut off from God. And he said, no, 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 take this cup from me. If there's any other way, take the cup, let it pass from me. And then he finishes that prayer with, but not my will, but your will be done. Jesus here says, I don't want to go through it. There's a sense where I don't want to go through it. But more than that, I want to obey you, God, whatever you want for me. I am not my own. Jesus personified this doctrine. He was not his own. His body was not his own. So Jesus shows us what we are for. 
He lives his life as the Father told him to live it in line with both his human nature and the revealed will of God. What does that mean, in line with his human nature? That means Jesus had to eat, for example. He was limited in his flesh like we are. Jesus also lived in community. That means he had to obey his sinful parents. He had to obey his boss, for example. He had to live in community with sinners. That means Jesus was lied about. Jesus was gossiped about. Jesus was betrayed. People told Jesus they would do something. They didn't do it. Jesus had to live in a broken world like we live in today. Jesus does this, though, as our representative, our new Adam. Where Adam had failed to be who God created to be, be, Jesus succeeded. Jesus is the new Adam who lived in our place and did everything that we cannot do. Jesus didn't live like an autonomous individual. He lived in line and under God's law. In line with the laws of the human nature, in line, with his, in line with his human nature. And Jesus used his body to obey God and lay it down for us. Scriptures tell us Jesus came to save us from our sins. Jesus, the Son of God, came to justify us and to redeem us from our sins. We use that word all the time. Do you know what the word redeem means? It actually was taken from the slave trade. It means to buy back a person. So a person was sold into slavery to redeem them means to buy them out, buy them into a new freedom. So theologically speaking, we were born as slaves to the autonomous self, slaves to sin. That means we were prone to use our freedom for all kinds of sinful things that actually enslave us. We were slaves to our desires, slaves to our feelings, slaves to proving that we are good enough or special enough to be picked, slaves to looking good in the eyes of others, slaves to pornography, slaves to money, slaves to comfort or fear. And what does Jesus do for those who acknowledge this slavery and turn to him for help? He redeems them. He buys them out of that slavery. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20 says this, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Look at me. One of the reasons God gave you a body is he wanted to live there. The Spirit of God wanted to come in, move in, and begin to redeem and renew and restore, to renovate your soul. Whom you have from God, look at this, you are not your own For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You are not, we're not our own because we didn't make ourselves. We are not our creator. And Christian, we are not our own because Jesus bought us for himself. He bought us, he purchased us out of slavery. How does he buy them out of slavery? How does he buy us out of slavery? Acts chapter 20 verse 28 says, Jesus purchased us with his own precious 
blood. Our Lord's blood has purchasing power. Not only to obtain us, to buy us out of our slavery to sin, but also to cleanse us, to wash us, to sanctify us, and to make us righteous and holy. That is such good news. Jesus can give you by free grace, sheer grace, an identity. Now, why is that good news? When you receive it, when you didn't do anything to earn it, it means you can't ever lose it. When Jesus gives, he never takes back. So when he gives you an identity, it's yours forever, for eternity. It's not the treadmill. Jesus says it is done. It is finished. You are my child. You are redeemed. You are a saint. This is the good news of the gospel. This is where the statement, I am not my own, goes from being bad news to the best news in the world. Listen, the Heidelberg Catechism, we've already read it today. Joel and I did not talk about this before this morning, but the Lord just had us on the same page. And so he put the liturgy together and we've already stated it. When the Heidelberg Catechism was put together several hundred years ago, it started off with this first question. And I want, you, I want to ask you this morning, how would you answer this question? What is your only comfort in life and in death? What's your only comfort? The autonomous individual says, I am my own. I did it my way. The Christian says this, that I am not my own but belong body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Purchased by his blood. Do you know how that will affect your life? Your everyday life? It'll give you a freedom you were made for. It'll give you an identity that can never be lost. It'll give you a comfort and a rest, no matter how difficult this life becomes. Because it's, it is, it's difficult. It's meant to be. And ultimately then, you will use this body for what it's for. You will glorify God in your body. Let me pray for us. Father God, I believe as I share the gospel today that your Holy Spirit is moving on hearts and minds and you are giving them faith to believe. There are many in here that are affected by this lie of the autonomous individual that says that we are not our own. We think we're plastic creatures that we get to shape our own bodies in any whatever way we want and we forget that we are given that you are our creator and even much more so Jesus Christ gave up his body to be broken and beaten and crucified so that ours could be set free from our slavery to sin I pray that you would give us the faith to believe it and for the Christian in this morning Lord I pray as we come together with our fellow brothers and sisters to eat of this table, this meal that reminds us that Jesus gave up his body to be broken and crucified, and yet he received a new body back. That we'll, we are reminded that though this body full of aches and pains and wrinkles and frustrations, one day we will have a new body where all stain of sin will be removed, all brokenness will be removed. 
all sickness. And we look forward to that day, Lord Jesus. Until we do, help us eat this bread and remember the body of Christ and drink of this cup and remember the new covenant that we are not justified by our own works. We are justified and made right by the works of Christ. We ask that you would nourish our body and soul. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.